So we've been in this series over the summer uh, where we're looking at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew, um, chapters 8 and 9. And just these stories, it, the series is kind of loosely called Bringing Our Wounds to Jesus. Uh, we all have wounds, some, some of them physical, uh, many of them are internal, they're emotional, spiritual wounds, and Jesus cares about them all. He, he, he wants us to bring all of our wounds uh, to him. So we're just moving through these stories of Jesus being awesome. I mean, right, we, we read these stories and we're just like, Jesus is so amazing. He's so awesome uh, that Jesus has power to heal broken things. It's just like wherever Jesus is, like things that are broken, they, they get restored, they get whole, they get mended. Um, and these stories, like Matthew writes I think he, he just compiles all these stories of Jesus' healing presence together in these two short chapters to, to just have this impact, like the most punch to say, you can trust this guy. Like you can trust Jesus. You can trust who he is, who he says he is, that he's better than you could ever possibly imagine. So this morning we're going to look um, briefly at, a, at just a couple of verses, and Brianna's going to come and, share, and read our our text for us from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. Words will be on the screen, but you can also follow along in, in your Bibles, which I would highly, highly recommend. Matthew 9, 1 to 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this point, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up. Take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. Amen. So uh, these, these scriptures are really easy to understand, right? Like on one level, again, we, we read these, and it's like, wow, there's... The, the meaning of the text is, is like right there, right? Jesus, he, he's, he has power, he has power to change things, he has power to deliver and restore whatever is broken, and so uh, trust him, come to him, bring whatever uh, brokenness is in your life, bring it to him. Um, but, but one tool that can be helpful, like when you're reading the Bible, it's like sometimes the Bible can be an intimidating book. It's like, I, I don't... I don't have like a theological um, education and I don't have lots of resources. So one quick tool that it can be really helpful for you whenever you're reading and you're reading the Bible in your own kind of personal uh, devotion, meditation, is just to look at a text and to say what words are repeated in this text. So sometimes I'll go on uh, like, you know, Bible app or whatever, and I'll copy the scripture or uh, this week, you know, like just hand write it out. That's a great practice. Um, to hand write out the text, and then to just look at it and to say, are there any key words that are repeated in this text? Because that can help give us a hint to what like Matthew wants us to know. Now, are there any key words that are repeated in like important parts of this text? And we won't take a lot of time. I already did the work for you. I'll circle them, 
the word authority, right? So um, you don't need permission for me, but you have permission, if that's helpful, to underline, to circle, to draw in your Bibles, right? They are a tool for you to use to, like, come to know Jesus. And how cool would it be if, like, in 10 years from now, your Bible was just so marked up with, like, notes and things that God is saying to you that you, like, give these Bibles, you know, to... To, to whoever, maybe to another family member, and they just have this like legacy of, of you know, your life with God. How cool would that be? So you can underline, draw on your Bibles. And so here in this text, the word authority is repeated twice in verse 6 and verse 8. And, and even more than that, in this whole like passage of Matthew that we've been looking at, Matthew seems to be highlighting the authority of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, the story of the Roman centurion that has a sick servant, and Jesus heals him from a distance, and that text is about authority. Matthew 7, 29 says he, uh, excuse me, um, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, it says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Uh, going back to Matthew 7, verse 29, it says that uh, Jesus taught as one who had authority. So Matthew, I think, wants us to realize something about Jesus' authority, that Jesus is an authority figure. How does that make you feel? How does, it, how does it make you feel to, like, see the word authority or to think about Jesus as an authority figure? Is there anybody who that troubles a little bit? Some of you fight authority, but authority always wins. Right, a little John Cougar Mellencamp for those who uh, who may be born after 1984. Um, speaking of 1984, how many of you were alive in 1984? By the way, like how many of you were like old enough to remember the Super Bowl of 1984? Anybody? Like, okay, I was born in 1982, so I wasn't old enough, but uh, technically I could have seen this. But there was a there was a commercial. Uh, that, that kind of it disrupted the world in 1984, the Super Bowl of 1984. And it was the first Macintosh computer. All right. Do you get, did anybody like remember watching this real time? Real? Okay. So maybe you've seen this. If, if not, here's just a little piece of history um, that, will, that will be helpful for you. Uh, and so the, this, you can go back and watch the video. It's super grainy, old technology. But it was, like, so revolutionary. So the commercials, this, there's a bunch of these, like, drone-like figures who are just kind of, you know, they're just, like, kind of lockstep. They have no expression. They're just, they're just kind of drones. And they go in there. They're sitting in this audience, and they're watching this big talking head who's droning on about, like, authority and, and all of that. And all of a sudden, in comes the savior, right, in this commercial. This, this woman who's, she's not wearing these drab gray colors, like she's wearing, you know, bright colors, and, and she comes in carrying a sledgehammer. And you're like, and she's, the authorities are chasing her down, trying to catch her, but she's running faster than they are. And she takes this sledgehammer, and she spins around and chucks it through the talking head on the screen, and it's like this white light bursts through the screen. And here are the famous words, is like, find out why 1984 won't be like 1984. And so the whole thing is like um, a picture of how Macintosh is going to revolutionize the world. If you want to rebel at heart, then it's against the power structures computer for you. Right? This, this is structures and, um, and embrace the symbol of rebellion. 
Now, is there, is there any more subversive symbol in the world? Now, they say they chose this not because of any spiritual, biblical sort of connections, right? But is there any symbol that, that embodies rebellion more than an apple with a bite taken out of it? Right? Now, how many of you own an apple, own an iPhone or something? So you bought into this, right? You, you rebels, it's an act. Some of you are a rebellion against the rebellion. You're like, no, I'm not doing that. So, like, this is what marketing does. Is it, it, it kind of um, unpacks what we have inside of us, these desires inside of us to rebel against authority, to go our own way, to chart our own path, to not be like everybody else, um, to be the, the one who's going against the crowd. Like, we all have that desire, right? There's, there's something in us that craves that. And then what marketing does is say, oh, here, this product will help you fulfill that desire. This is, this is what happens. Now, some of, the, some of you, this, this is you, 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 right? We rebel against authority. And so, um, seeing Jesus as an authority figure might make us uncomfortable. And maybe it's for good reason. Right? Maybe, maybe we're uncomfortable with Jesus as an authority figure because we had a parent in our life who we just could not please. Like they had authority in our life and, and they let us know that no matter what we did, no matter how hard we worked, no matter how much we tried to achieve, we just we couldn't please them. Or maybe you had a critical teacher who sort of held you under the weight of their authority. Or maybe you had a boss who lorded authority over you. Or maybe that's the reality you... you um, you live in right now, and so it can be tough to see Jesus this way. But I want us to ask two questions about Jesus being an authority figure. One is, like, how does he use his authority? Like, what does Jesus do with the authority he has? Who, who benefits from his authority and who's threatened by it? So you have this story, right? Jesus um, is there, he's teaching, going about his ministry, and there is this, uh, this group of, of people who carry presumably their friend, to Jesus on a mat. This man is paralyzed. Now, we don't know, like, how much of his body is paralyzed, but he is unable to walk. We know that for sure. So his, his friends carry him to Jesus. Why did they bring him to Jesus? The answer is pretty obvious. What's his problem? He can't walk. Exactly. I mean, anybody who's watching this scene play out, if you were there that day, you would know, I know what the dude's problem is. He can't walk. He's being carried to Jesus on a mat. It's very obvious. And so here he is. He's brought him. By the way, this is the same story from Mark 2. If, you, if you've read it in Mark, his version is a little longer, where it's like Jesus teaching in the house, and all of a sudden they open a hole in the roof and lower the man down. Do you know that story? Have you heard that? It's the same story. Matthew just tells it a, a little bit differently. And so here's a guy. He can't walk. They bring him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. And sees him, has compassion on him, and he says this. He says, take heart, have courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus, that's great. Like, right, if you were there that day, what would you say? Be like, Jesus, that's, that's awesome. Forgiveness, that's wonderful. A spiritual experience, that's, that's good. Telling him to have courage, that's wonderful. But Jesus... His problem is with his legs. He can't walk. Like, he, he's paralyzed. He had to be carried in here. Right? Are, are you right? I mean, it, it feels like Jesus is missing something, like it's incongruent 
But the reality is that Jesus sees what we don't see. And, and you see this, like in, in the gospel, when Jesus looks at us, when he looks at a person, it's like he knows them completely. When Jesus sees us, it's like he sees through us. And he sees into our hearts. And he sees like the physical stuff. He sees what everybody else sees, but he actually looks deeper than that. Like Jesus has this ability to look right into the depths of who we are. And this is what he does with this man. In fact, uh, in verse 4, we're told that the religious leaders who are offended by Jesus, Jesus just knows what they're thinking in their hearts. Right? He, he knows it. He sees through people. In, in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, um, Jesus didn't need any testimony about human beings, for he knew what was in each person. So here's this man that everybody says his problem is he can't walk. And Jesus speaks a word to him and says, Your son, have courage. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus sees something in him that we don't See, and maybe the man himself didn't even see. But there's something about this man that Jesus perceived his deepest need is not his legs. That his deepest need, the first word he needs to hear is that he is receiving this inner healing of being forgiven. And Jesus ministers to him at that level first. Now, like we all have needs on both levels of our life. We have needs on, on the physical level. I mean, there are times when floods come in, you know, to our home. And that's a physical need. It's a very real physical need. Some of us have, like, physical needs. Dorothy broke her ankle. Um, that's, that's a physical need. It's, it's real. And Jesus cares about all of that stuff. I don't know what your physical needs are, but he just cares about those. But we also have these deeper needs, like these internal needs that, that maybe we're not even aware of. And, and for sure, maybe nobody else is aware of. But Jesus perceives those. And he sees into our hearts. And he knows what we need at that deep level within us. And he speaks to that. And he wants to heal that as well. Now, uh, just a couple of things. I, I don't want to take uh, too much time. But it, it raises a couple of questions. Some people, I, I've heard people talk about this text. And they're like, wow, maybe... The man was paralyzed because he had sinned. Have you heard that? I mean, you, you can kind of read the text and you're like, wait a second, is, is Jesus making a connection between this man's paralysis and his sin? And so if he forgives the sin, then the man will be able to be well. And I think, it, what is the connection between sin and sickness? Man, that is a big question. Um, one that we cannot do justice to in just a couple of minutes here this morning but I do want to make some observations because I think it's really helpful to just have a framework for this. And you can, you can come back to, you can explore more later, we can sit down and have coffee. Um, but it, it raises questions about what, the, what is the connection between sin and sickness. And so I just want to, five things that we, I think we can see all in the scriptures. One is sickness was not God's original design. If you read the, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, before sin came into the world, there is no sickness. There's no death. There's no disease. Sickness was not a part of God's original design. It doesn't originate from him. And so I think we, we begin there that sickness came into this world through human rebellion. 
It came through Adam and Eve, through these first human beings, choosing to go a way that was not God's way, to do their own thing. And the consequences of that action, that rebellion and sin, was all of a sudden now sickness begins to happen in the world. So that's, that's like the first thing that we learn through the scriptures. Uh, secondly, I think there, there are instances where uh, sickness is a result of consequences of our actions. Now, this can happen... Um, on a really natural physical level, if I, if I disregard my body, like just completely disregard my body, and I eat nothing but Cheetos, which by far is my favorite snack, and, and wash it down with Mountain Dew, and I do this for 30 years of life, or 40 or 50 years of life, what's going to happen to my body? I, yeah, would you say I'm going to get bored? Yeah, I don't know that I would get bored. That's pretty good. Uh, maybe some ice cream in there every once in a while. But what's going to happen? My, my body's going to break down, right? I, it's just I can't put, like, garbage into my body and think it's going to be okay. And so there are, like, these natural consequences of our actions that sometimes happen. If I abuse my body and put garbage into it, like, over time it's going to take a toll. Um, if we abuse creation um, over time, like, it's going to create an environment where people are getting sick from the consequences of that. So I think... There are, sickness can be natural consequences of our behaviors. Third, sickness can be punishment for sin. Like there are biblical passages, um, for example, in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers chapter 12, Moses um, is, is leading God's people along with his brother Aaron and his sister Miriam, and they rebel against him. And, and Miriam starts... Um, just grumbling against Moses, and she immediately has this, like, physical consequence of this. Like, she gets, like, this skin disease, something like leprosy. And, and so Moses then, uh, she, she realizes, like, her sin, and so Moses intercedes for her, and, and God graciously touches her and heals her. So there is this example in the Old Testament of, like, sickness coming because of sin. So we have to hold that. That's number three. But then you have the book of Job. And do you know the book of Job? Hey, here's a guy who is portrayed as completely righteous. He has no sin in his life. And what happens? The bottom falls out of his life. And terrible sickness and loss and disease. And it is not a consequence of sin. In fact, his friends, so-called friends, come and say, well, Job, there's got to be something. you got to, like, put the magnifying glass on your heart because certainly you have sinned and caused all this. And the whole book of Job is there to say that is not how the world works. That's not how the world works. And, and so you can't just make this really easy correlation between, well, this happened, and so those are the consequences. The book of Job is so helpful in that. The world is far more complex than, than simple answers. Um, there you go. Look at that. Woo! Um, and so that's four. And then fifth is this, this beautiful story in John 9 where there's a man born blind. Do you know the story in John, uh, John 9? There's a man who's born blind, and he's brought to Jesus, and the disciples say this, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents because he was born blind? And Jesus essentially tells them, it's the wrong question. Like, who, who are you to think you know, like, what, you know, the equation is to get to, to this person? Like, well, he sinned or his parents sinned. Like, you know, who sinned to get to this? And Jesus is like, that is the wrong question. Stop trying to figure out why this thing happened. There are no simple categories for this. Um, 
And, and he says that the, the right question is, how is God going to be at work in this? How is God going to redeem this? How can God bring glory out of this? How can his glory be on display uh, through this? And so I think those are just like five things to keep in mind in the correlation between sin and sickness. We have to have this like holistic picture. But the reality is Jesus cares about it all. He cares about it all. Um, and so he says to this man, your, your sins are forgiven. There's something in this man, in his heart, that is just burdened down by sin. And Jesus speaks that word to him because he sees his need. Now, does the man ask for forgiveness? Does he ask for it? Can Jesus, does Jesus forgive somebody who doesn't ask for it? Don't you have to, like, repent before Jesus asks you to, right? It, 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 it's a little bit confusing. But remember, Jesus sees what we don't see, right? Jesus sees things that we don't see and perceive. But notice what is said earlier. Before Jesus says anything, it says uh, in verse 1, um, or verse 2, it says, someone brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat, and when Jesus saw their, what does the text say? When Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Everybody's faith. Like Jesus saw them, this desperate man in a desperate situation who can't walk, who has these needs, some that are obvious, some that aren't obvious, and he has these friends, this community of faith that carry him to Jesus. Jesus looked at that whole scenario, and what did he see? He saw their faith. Now, could this man have articulated his faith? I mean, maybe he's not like kicking and screaming, um, saying, no, like, don't take me to Jesus. Like, he's along with, apparently he wants it. Like, there's something in him that desires Jesus, that knows that Jesus has what only, only Jesus can give him. And Jesus looks at this man, and Jesus is so gracious, is so kind, is so ready to forgive, that he looks into this man's heart, and he sees even... Even these like unspoken needs and desires and longings. And Jesus sees his faith and he says, your sins are forgiven. Let your heart be healed. I mean, is Jesus awesome or what? Right? He was just like, he looks into our hearts. And even those, those times when we can't even put into words what we need, but yet we just like, we come to Jesus. Or, or better yet, like sometimes as a community of faith, it's like I, for whatever reason, don't have the strength I need to bring myself back to Jesus. You ever just get like, for whatever reason, life is hard and you're weary and you show up on a Sunday morning, but your head is still like trying to fix the problems of the last week and you're just, you're physically here, but you're not here, right? Does that ever happen to anybody else? You're, you're miles away. And then you hear the people around you singing these songs. And you see them showing up. And you see their hearts opening to the Lord. And you see somebody stand up and give testimony to what God is doing in their life. And it's like that light begins to shine in your heart again. It draws you back to Jesus. Like, see, faith is not just this personal thing. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just like this individual thing. It's always personal. It's always like on this heart level, but it's never individual, that we are part of a community of faith. And sometimes the person next to you needs your faith. 
They might need to borrow a little bit of yours. And they might need you to help carry them back to Jesus. And that's the best thing we can do for our friends is, is to help like just carry each other back to Jesus when we need it because sometimes we just don't have the strength to do it on our own. So Jesus sees what we don't see. He sees the, the wholeness of who we are and our needs, and he speaks on that level. And Jesus, he, man, he, he's so good. He's so gracious. He's so ready to forgive. He, he speaks a word of forgiveness. And then, man, I wish we had more time um, to unpack this. But then Jesus, the, the religious leaders are not happy with Jesus. Who do you think you are that you are forgiving this person's sin? Because right in the Jewish mind, who has authority to forgive sins? God. God alone. If you read this text in Matthew, it's like God alone has the authority to, to forgive sins. And are they right? They're absolutely right. Only God has authority to forgive sins. And God had authorized, throughout the Old Testament, he had authorized a specific place and specific people to help people have their sins forgiven. Right? What was the, the authorized place where sins could be forgiven? Anybody? The temple in Jerusalem. They're like 90 miles away from the temple in Jerusalem where this happens. Right? They're by the Sea of Galilee. So the authorized place is the temple. And who are the authorized people at the temple who can help you have your sins forgiven? The priests. Authorized place, authorized people, Jesus, who do you think you are that you can just go around forgiving people? That's what the religious leaders are saying. They're threatened by Jesus. And Jesus is acting like he's God. And they're exactly right to be threatened by this. I mean, he's just going around acting like he's the one where, like, the presence of God is now not at the temple and not just acting through the priest, but it's like it's, Jesus is like, wherever I am, there the presence of God is to heal, to restore, to forgive. And so the religious leaders, they have no categories for this. They are, they are like, kind of furious about it. And then Jesus, he's brilliant, and he says, well, okay, so which one's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, which how do you, how do you have evidence for that? That your sins are forgiven. Like you have this internal feeling, you feel your cleanse, like it, right? It's an internal reality, but there's no like outward expression of that necessarily. So Jesus is like, which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and carry it home. And Jesus says this, so that you may know that me, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, has authority, has been authorized by God here on earth to forgive sins I say to this man, get up, take your mat, and go. And the man gets up, takes his mat, and go. See, the physical healing becomes a visual sign of this inner healing, of the forgiveness and the reality. So the religious leader is like, Jesus, you can't do that. You don't have the authority to, to forgive sins. Only the temple and only the priest, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right. Your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat, and go. That's awesome. Don't you love Jesus? He's like the rebellion against the rebellion, right? It, it's so good. Like this story, these stories are so powerful, so profound, so good. So, um, does this man have to grovel at Jesus' feet to be forgiven? Does anybody ever have to come and grovel at Jesus' feet to be forgiven? You know, I, I don't know what it is about my own heart and, and just like 
I, I don't know where that is, but I often live with this sense that like when I, when I mess up, I'm gonna, it's going to take a while to earn that back. Anybody else feel that? It's like I, I kind of have to grovel for a while before Jesus will, I mean, he might forgive me, but before he'll like welcome me back in like good standing with him. And that's just not the reality. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus says to this man, who who just like he can't even articulate, he just has this glimmer of repentance in his heart, and Jesus sees it and he says, ah, son, my child. I mean, it's like this term of endearment, like I see you, you are welcome with me, you belong, your sins are forgiven. And so that this isn't just like an internal thing and you don't have any any like physical, um, like, record of this, get up, take your mat, and go. And it becomes a symbol for everybody that Jesus does indeed have authority to forgive sins, that he is God in the flesh. And so maybe, like, maybe we just need to have our, again, our, the lens that we see God through just cleaned a little bit. Because that lens gets dirty. And, and for us, like part of what we do on a Sunday morning is just we let the Spirit just clean that lens so that the God that we imagine in our minds looks exactly like Jesus. Because Jesus is the exact representation of what God is like. So God does not require you to grovel at his feet. He does not require, like, you know, I, I messed up, and so now I'm going to have to, like, earn my way back to him. Jesus just front end loads grace And he says, you're forgiven. Now, come, be with me, walk with me, follow me. Like the the transformation of our life comes after we receive grace after grace after grace. It is this invitation um, to just keep coming back to him. I think many of us live under the weight of our sin. Sin that has been forgiven. Sin that has been redeemed. And now like, what is the symbol that we can like know that my sin is taken care of? We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have animal sacrifices anymore. We don't have any of those things. Do you know what we have? We have the cross. We have the cross. And the cross is a symbol of so many things, but one of the things it's a symbol of is this guarantee of where we stand with God. That as like as we open our lives up to him, as we receive his, his grace and his healing and his forgiveness in our lives, we look at the cross and we know you can know where you stand with God. You, you don't have to wonder, like, am I good with God? Is he punishing me? Am I, is he angry with me? That we look at the cross and we know this is God's heart and we can receive the healing of forgiveness. There is nothing as healing as being forgiven of just like being cleansed, of being, um, coming out from under the weight and the burden of, <clears throat> of our mistakes and our sins and our brokenness. And so I just want to like create some space for us um, to just allow the Spirit to use this text in, in whatever way the Spirit wants to do in our hearts. So silence is something that... We're, you know, we're not usually accustomed to. We like noise. We like activity. But I just want to give maybe 30 seconds of silence. And would you just open your heart up to the Spirit? Um, God is here. He's with us. And he wants to speak to us. And so let's just uh, let's take a few moments and then I'll, I'll pray.
pray for us. Jesus, you are Lord, you are the King of heaven and earth, you are the one who has been authorized to heal, to forgive, to make whole all that is broken. So we just bring our hearts to you today. Lord, we trust that you see what we don't even see in ourselves and in each other. And Lord, we we want to bring our whole selves into the light of your love today to receive what only you can give us. God, maybe it's forgiveness. Lord, maybe there's some of us here who are living under the, the guilt and the weight of sin, rebellion against you as our Lord. And with whatever words we can muster, with however much faith we can muster, we just turn our hearts toward you. We come to you. We humble ourselves to receive your forgiveness. But have mercy on us. Lord Jesus, for those of us who carry uh, just heavy burdens, physical pain, uh, just brokenness in, in our world that is heavy on our hearts, God, we pray that you would see those needs as well, that you would, um, you would do what only you could do. You could meet those needs according to your riches and glory. Lord Jesus, have compassion, speak words of, of tenderness and care, reach out a hand and touch uh, what needs to be healed and restored. Lord, we love you. We're drawn to you. We thank you for who you are. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.